Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to an episode of The Last Guys and the Bleachers. Of course, my, I'm Brian Hancock, and I'm joined by uh, a, a new addition to the family, to the um, Last Guys and the Bleachers uh, family, and that is former Texas A&M football player Jay Arnold. And Jay, how are you doing this, this afternoon? I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm all right. How was how? Uh, what did you do for your mom for Mother's Day weekend? We uh we actually cooked dinner for her. Uh, we had oh, nice. like, set up, cooked fajitas, uh, got all the vegetables and stuff going. So it was it was a pretty pretty good Mother's Day. She enjoyed it, and that's what matters. Right, right. Well, my mom, of course, you know, I live in New Orleans. Uh, well, my mom's like 400 miles away, so uh, I ended up mailing her a, a, a Mother's Day card uh, on Friday, on, on Friday afternoon, and uh, I ended up um, doing that for her. Uh, last year, I mailed her like a, a book of photographs from this uh, African American photographer guy named Will Downey. He's also a, a jazz singer. And is one of my mom's favorite artists. Also, kind of like passed down to me. Is also one of my favorite uh, R&B artists as well. So that being said, um, we're going to jump right into the podcast, and we're going to first talk about the winners and losers of the NFL draft. And Jay, I know uh, you and I, we both uh, kept our eyes peeled um, to the NFL draft this uh, a few weeks ago. One of the things, uh, one of the winners, I would have to say, is the Cleveland Browns. And it's very weird to call them a winner in this draft because Cleveland has had so many changes over the last 20 years. Every two years, they're drafting a quarterback. Now you have a guy in Baker Mayfield. And I feel like, Jay... If you don't get this, I mean, how many times are you going to go and try to do, you know, go, how many times are you going to blow it up and rebuild? This time, I think this time, this time around with Baker Mayfield and the draft class that they brought in, I want to believe that they will turn it around. They added some nice pieces of, so far this offseason, they added Jarvis Landry, which would be a great target for uh, for Baker Mayfield. But the whole Brown thing that will uh, that makes me concerned because every time the Browns try to try to be competent, the whole Browns disease catches up with the team, and it also catches up with. Baker Mayfield, and I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think uh, whether the Browns win or lose based on this draft, uh, it all comes down to Baker Mayfield and how he performs. I mean, he has weapons around him in Cleveland. Uh, Carlos Hyde got brought in this offseason. Uh, Jarvis Landry, as you mentioned. Uh, Josh Gordon should be back. Uh, obviously, he's a big threat. So, Baker is going to have weapons around him. And uh, depending on how he uses them, uh, it'll it'll kind of decide the fate of the Cleveland Browns long term. 
Another team I want to look at is the Giants. Uh, they drafted Saquon Barkley. Were you surprised that they drafted Saquon Barkley at, at number two? No, not at all. I mean, it's been a long time since the Giants have had uh, really a truly elite threat at running back. Uh, I mean, there's been names that have popped up every once in a while for the Giants that have had an impact, but uh, Saquon Barkley is a true game changer at the position, and it it takes a lot of the pressure off of uh, Eli Manning. and I, I think it was a good pick for the Giants. I mean, you got to remember that that offense also has guys like Evan Ingram and Odell Beckham. So if they can establish a solid running game, that could make a huge difference for the team. What other teams do you think had good draft? Uh, had good draft, in your opinion? Um, one team that I felt pretty pretty good about obviously it's a, it's a little bit of a biased opinion me being a, a Bears fan but I, I felt like the Bears had a pretty pretty good draft uh Roquan Smith obviously is uh is a, I think that was a, a huge pickup for them we now now with my Saints uh the Saints drafted Marcus Davenport and as soon as they made the draft pick, everyone on Saints Twitter just started to criticize the pick. And I'm like, you know, what people don't realize about the uh, about Power 5 schools, those teams, I mean, there's a lot of great players in these Power 5, in these, uh, not Power 5, but in these group of five uh, schools. And some people, when they when they announced it was Marcus Davenport, a lot of people on Saints Twitter just started, you know, just started, just started um, panning the draft, panning the draft pick. And I'm like, you know, you guys need to start realizing that there are some really good players in group of, in the group of five. Uh, you have a guy like Anthony Miller from Memphis, who got drafted by the Bears, who went from being a walk-on to being an NFL draft pick. And you have guys like Marcus Davenport, who was one of the best defensive players in Comfort USA, getting drafted by the Saints, who, and ironically, believe it or not, Jay, he also grew up a Saints fan. He had a photo, he tweeted a photo of himself with a Reggie Bush jersey. So, in a way, it, it, to, to a lot of people, it, it just seemed like it was just like destined for him to be, um, to be a New Orleans Saint. However, a lot of Saint fans panned the draft pick because he didn't go to a Power Five school. He went to a Group of Five school, and I think honestly, Jay, a lot of people do a lot of a lot of people down Group of Five schools uh, in the first place. A lot of people do that, but. You know, people who love college football, who understand it, we know about the good players that come out of those group five schools. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have so many schools uh, playing D1 football, you know, there's going to be a lot of kids coming out of high school that maybe haven't fully developed yet or 
uh, went under the radar, and they end up at these schools, and they develop into incredible athletes and great players. And uh, I think that kind of shows, you know, when you, you get to uh, to the draft and you see these kids from schools that you don't really normally hear the names of, and they're, they're getting picked high, and obviously the scouts know something. And us college football fans have probably already realized that at some point. I'm looking at the um... – at the uh, top 20 of the draft picks from this year. And of the top 20, we're just going with the top 20, the ones that came from group of five schools, like Josh Allen from Wyoming, and we'll talk about him uh, later on, but you had Josh Allen, Marcus Davenport, and uh, Leighton Vander Esch from Boise State. So you did have three, but if you – go with the whole first round, you could add uh, Rashad Penny, who went who uh, got went to uh, the Seahawks from uh, San Diego State. State. Yeah, from San Diego State. Uh, Rashad Penny, and also Mike Hughes, who went to the Vikings. He went to the Vikings. And then if you go to round two, you had Austin Corbett from Nevada, Will Hernandez from UTEP. Uh, and you also had Cortland Sutton, who I thought was going to fall to the Saints, a great wide receiver from SMU. And if you keep going further down at uh, the group of five schools, we're not talking about 1A, uh, the division uh, FCS guys, but you also had Anthony Miller, who went to the Bears, uh, which who I just mentioned earlier, he went round to 51st pick overall. Um and then you had, um, let's see here, who else you had from round two? That was about it. So there were uh, numerous players that went from group of five schools um, and, uh, that went, you know, in the first two rounds uh, to, uh, to, team, to NFL teams. So I think the whole thing about, I think the whole panning, of, of the trade, I mean, of the draft pick on draft night, I think eventually some Saints fans came around and understood, hey, look, he wants to be here. I think he's going to be a really good player. Let's give him a chance. Because a lot of people don't realize, like, uh, back in 2014, 2015, the Saints had two shitty-ass drafts. Um two shitty-ass drafts, and a lot of that had to do with Bounty Gate and the the, uh, the ramifications from Bounty Gate. So I think that's the reason why a lot of St. fans were concerned uh, and, and were concerned about this draft pick. Uh, so now we shift over to the quarterbacks that were, picked, that were picked, and I want to get your opinion on Lamar Jackson going 32nd. Uh, why do you think he failed – so low in the first round when a lot of people thought he was going to be like one of the first three quarterbacks uh, taken in the first round. You know, it's it's kind of hard to, to get inside the minds of what NFL scouts are thinking because I, I felt like Lamar Jackson was criminally underrated when I heard people talking about him sliding in, even in the second round. I mean, I, I feel like he's an elite athlete. Uh, he has a great arm. You know, maybe there's some questions on accuracy, but he he 
was more accurate than, than Josh Allen was, and he adds a more dynamic player. So it, it's, I know I'm, I'm puzzled by the, the fact that people were making the decision to, to value certain other quarterbacks ahead of Lamar Jackson, but I, I think we'll see him be a very successful player uh, for Baltimore uh, for, for many years to come. And I'm looking at his, his stats from like his stats from his college career. He had a uh, he had a passing uh, a completion rate of 57 percent, and he threw for 69 touchdowns, and he had 27 interceptions. Now, if you shift over at Josh Allen, let's you, let's go to Josh Allen for example. Yeah, Josh Allen. Okay, Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Oops. One day. I, I had uh, typed in the one for uh, the Kentucky linebacker in his career in 2017. But here is Josh Allen, quarterback at um, Wyoming. He had 56 a 56.2 completion rate. He also threw for 44 touchdowns and 21 uh, 44 touchdowns and 21 interceptions. It's slightly better, Jay. But look at how many touchdowns he threw. He threw 16 in 2017. And then you look at Lamar Jackson. Jackson threw for 27 touchdowns against 10 interceptions. And he had a QBR, a quarterback rating of 146.6. Now, I don't, I'm not a person that's a big a numbers guy, but he had a higher passing percentage, a higher completion rate, in 2017, Dan, Josh Allen. And if we want to go even further, look at Sam Donald. Sam Donald, who um, got drafted. He, uh, I mean, Sam Donald had a 63.1% completion rate, but he averaged 8.6 yards per passing attempt in 2017. Josh Allen, I mean, Lamar Jackson, 8.7. For his career, he had an 8.3 yard per average on a yard per average on a completion. However, it doesn't mean anything when Josh Allen was, you know, if you see, through, if you look at his tape, he was, there were numerous times where he was like, super inaccurate. I never saw, like, a draft pick-worthy game from him, whereas with Lamar Jackson, there were numerous games in which he looked like a world beater, except when he played LSU in the in the bowl game and when he played Mississippi State in the bowl game. It just seemed like he just could not function and make those same plays that he made against the, uh, the North Carolinas and the North Carolina State, he couldn't do that against LSU and Mississippi State. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, there, there were some times that Lamar Jackson showed his flaws, but uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I still feel like, you know, the competition he played against, for one thing, uh, and just the overall body of work that he had should have had him higher as a draft pick. Right, right. So now we shift over to Sam Darnold. 
Sam Darnold got drafted by the New York Jets. Is this the quarterback that can break the curse of the quarterback position for the Jets? Do you think this is the quarterback? I mean, I I see a lot of the intangibles of Sam Darnold. Uh, I think he's got a high football IQ. I think he can make a lot of the, the throws and a lot of the plays that you want to make. But uh, I, I think he he still has a little bit to learn about the process. Uh, you know, only only time will tell whether he's able to make a difference or not to the Jets. But uh, you know, I, I, I see him being a pretty good uh, performer for them. I, I think he will end up being better than anything they've had in uh, probably since Chad Pennington. If I go back that far, uh, you know. Obviously, they're completely different players, and Chad Pennington wasn't a world beater by any means. But I think Sam Darnold uh, has a chance to to really make a difference for that team. What about Josh Rosen in Arizona? And Josh Rosen is just the latest in the lengthy list of quarterbacks that Larry Fitzgerald has played with. I think the the Cardinals actually got a steal with Josh Rosen falling as far down as he did. I think uh, Rosen, as far as pure pocket passer, is probably the best out of the bunch in the draft. Uh, you know, I think that the Cardinals have a lot of weapons that, around him. Uh, David Johnson coming back healthy uh, is obviously a threat in the running game and in the passing game. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is just Larry Fitzgerald. You know, you, you can't really uh, discount uh, what he's able to do. Uh, the Cardinals also drafting. Christian Kirk at Texas A&M. Uh, obviously, I'm a little biased with my opinions of him, but I think he's an incredible athlete and uh, could be really helpful for for Josh Rosen adjusting into the league. And I think he's going to end up being probably the best pure pocket passer in this draft. So now we uh, shift over to uh, we shift over to Josh Allen, and Josh Allen. Getting, I mean, Josh Allen getting drafted by the Buffalo Bills. What was the Buffalo? What do you think the Buffalo? I mean, I feel like the Buffalo Bills. You made the playoffs for the first time since 1999, and you have all this goodwill stored up, and you decide to do this. Yeah, I, I actually have the Bills as the biggest loser. In my draft, I think uh, drafting Josh Allen is a terrible decision. The only thing I can think, uh, even remotely, that makes sense about the pick is that the, the Bills like the fact that he's a kid who's played in cold weather, obviously in Wyoming, getting that. Uh, so he's used to that those kind of temperatures as a quarterback. But uh, other than that, uh, he doesn't really check any of the boxes for me as a as a as a top pick at quarterback. You know, I, I don't see him. He has the arm strength, but that's about it. Right, right. So now we shift over. We uh, already finished talking about NBA. And let me tell you this, folks. I am drinking my beer today. It's Abita Amber. The Abita Amber, I'm sure, Jay, I'm not sure if you ever had an Abita Amber. But Abita Amber is my go-to. It's my beer of the week. And um, I'm with... Talk. I'm gonna uh, post a t- tweet out uh, my a photo of the Abita beer. It's Abita Amber, the uh, original, original Abita beer. 
And, of course, you can find it at all your New Orleans area grocery stores as well as com, and also all around southeast Louisiana. And now we shift over to, to the uh, next topic, which is the NBA playoffs. The uh, Cavaliers took on the Celtics yesterday. And a lot of people are already writing off the Cavaliers. Uh, I just think from what I saw yesterday, the Cavaliers, I just don't think, they, I just think they, they slept walk to game one yesterday. I won't say, I won't say that, oh, the, the Celtics are going to sweep them or anything because I don't, that's kind of hard to say. And you can't really gauge a series after uh, one game. However, their lack of defense, uh, focus on defense, and the bad shot, uh, bad shot selections and things like that, those are recipes for disasters. And if they keep continue to do this in game two, you could be seeing Boston in the uh, in the uh, in the NBA Finals. However, I think Jay, this is by far Brad Stevens' best coaching job since he's been in Boston. I thought he should have been number, he should have been coach of the year in the NBA over Dwayne Casey, who got fired. Um, I think with all the adversity that the Celtics had, losing Gordon Hayward and losing Kyrie Irving, they were not supposed to be in this predicament. Would you agree with that? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. I think Brad Stevens has done an incredible job taking the team that many had discounted after those injuries. Uh, he, he, he's taken them to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, uh, and won game one with a, with a pretty healthy margin. Obviously, you know, you, you can't count out any team that LeBron plays for in the playoffs because, you know, at, at any time he can decide to change the game. But I'll tell you what, that, that Celtics performance in, in game one was impressive. The thing that I think that the Celtics, that the Cavaliers got to do, Kevin Love got to step his game up. LeBron can't do it all, but Kevin Kevin Love has to step up his game. He has not. I mean, he showed me. He has not. He has shown me, you know, inconsistent inconsistency a lot during these playoffs, and we're seeing that a lot. You know, it's the same thing with. It's the same thing that we're seeing um that we're seeing uh and also we just got uh breaking news Jay still and this is from Sporting News Steelers minority owner David Tepper has reportedly finalized the deal to purchase the Carolina Panthers and uh I'm going to show read off the story uh read the story to you guys real quick uh, David Tepper has been a minority owner of the Steelers. Uh, he has been a, a minority owner, and I'm trying to look at it through here. Um, that being said, okay, well, um, here's what it says here. Tepper is the founder of Appaloosa Management. He bought the team from anywhere between 2.1 and 2.5 billion. Tepper is worth an estimated 11 billion. In order for Tepper to take ownership of the, of the Panthers, he must sell his stake with the Steelers. 
but since he is already approved by the NFL as a part owner, the process for him should uh, to take over should be smooth, and uh, they will have a possible vote by the financial committee at the spring league meeting on uh, May 21st through May 23rd in Atlanta. And after the uh, financial com- uh, committee approves of the sale, the NFL owners will approve as well. So that's uh, breaking news. David Tepper is going to be the new owner of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, now, but getting back to our topic regarding the NBA, regarding the NBA playoffs, Jay, what do you think needs to happen for game in game two with the Celtics and Cavaliers? Uh, obviously, in order for the the Cavaliers to uh, have a chance to stay in the series, they they really need to get more uh, help from their role players. Uh, like you said, LeBron can't do it all. Uh, Kevin Love needs to step his game up a lot. Uh, the rest of the guys surrounding that team, you know, they uh they have their work cut out for them. This Celtics team, you know, even without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, they're they're a hungry team, and they, they really want to win this series. They want to go to the final. And uh, Brad Stevens, like you said, probably should have been the coach of the year with the way he led this team through adversity to the conference finals. But, uh, you know, uh, if, the, if the Cavaliers want to stay in it, they have to get help from everybody, not just the on LeBron. Right, right. Now we shift over to um... – to the Warriors, we we talk about the we're gonna uh, go into discussing the Warriors and and Rockets. Who you see winning Game One? You know, it's a it's a tough call. Uh, this series has really got me more interested in the NBA playoffs than I've than I've been in a while. You know, I'm a, I'm normally a hockey guy, but this has really managed to to drag me back into. NBA fandom, and uh, it's, it's a tough call. I'm, you know, I'm leaning towards the Rockets. I just think they kind of have that underdog mentality. Uh, the the Warriors are trying to say that they're being discounted going into this series, but I, I feel like everyone kind of expects the Warriors to just advance to the next round. And I, I have Houston uh, coming out really hot, uh, really hungry, and uh, getting the win here in game one. Right, I think I'm going with the Rockets. I'm going with the home team in this in this first uh, in this first game. Uh, I think it's going to be electric for Houston. I mean, for Houston and for Chris Paul. I mean, I'm so happy for Chris Paul to finally get to uh, the third round. I mean, you're doing one more, one better, one round better than uh, Bryce Harper with the Nationals. I mean, Bryce Harper is yet to get to the uh, LCS in baseball. So for Chris Paul to get that off his back and play out of his mind on last Tuesday, it's nothing short of remarkable for for him, uh, for him. And I'm I'm really excited to see what the uh, Rockets and uh, Warriors series gonna be. Uh, I actually have the Rockets winning in six. I think it's gonna be uh, a very competitive, uh, competitive and fun series and uh. As you guys know, we'll talk. We'll be talking more detail about that on a future episode with my good friend Larry Marley, 
Uh, hopefully, he'll be giving some insight on the uh, Western Conference Finals as well as the Eastern Conference Finals uh, on this podcast. So that being said, we're going to shift over. And, Jay, we got uh, – and this was a very popular Twitter topic on last, uh, on last week, and it was biased opinion. And before that, let me tell you guys, get you an Abita Amber. This is Ryan's Beer of the Week, Abita Amber. Get you one. Get you one. It's very cold. I've, I've drank like a couple of them. I drank a root beer, an Abita root beer, which is also, which is ice cold, just as well as my Abita Amber. Get you an Abita Amber. Get you an Abita root beer. Stay hydrated in this heat here in southeast Louisiana. So we're going to get back to this to the podcast, and we're going to get into our next topic, our last topic of the podcast, and that is the biased opinions. And what we're going to do, Jay, is we're going to use, we're going to do four, I want you to give me, we're going to go back and forth on this one. Um, the first category would be college football. The second category would be um, a uh a baseball would be baseball. Uh, the third can be will be your favorite team. So you got to give three. We, I'm gonna uh, let you go first with your college football biased opinion. All right, uh, doing on spot right now. Uh, going back to the 2012 season, uh, this is one I saw post a lot among A&M circles that if. The Louisiana Tech Texas A&M game hadn't been uh, postponed due to a hurricane. Then uh, A&M goes on to figure out what kind of player Johnny Manziel is, and they ended up winning the SEC West. Uh, now, I think it's important to note here: uh, Florida ended up being the first game of the season because of that uh, uh, postponement due to the hurricane. So if Louisiana Tech ends up being the first game of the season. And by the way, that Louisiana Tech team that year was a was a pretty solid team. Uh, Johnny has a huge performance, uh, and they go on to beat Florida at Kyle Field, knowing what Johnny's capable of. Uh, now, I think the rest of the season goes the the same way. I think A and M probably still loses to LSU. Uh, I think defensively, uh, they just created so many problems for A&M and struggled with it. But having a one-loss A&M team, one loss in the SEC A&M team, uh, they still beat Bama. So they had that win over Bama. And that would lead them to the SEC West title and then eventually to the SEC championship. So you think, so you believe if that game had been played, Texas A&M would have won the SEC West. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, I still have them losing to LSU later in the season, but I, I think they end up beating Florida, and with that having only one loss in the SEC, I, I, and the head-to-head win over Bama, I think they end up winning the SEC West and the SEC. My unbiased, my, well, my biased opinion, and this pains me, and I actually have one other uh, biased opinion, but the first one is if SM, if, Memphis, if LSU doesn't play, if LSU plays Oklahoma State, 
in the 2011 BCS title game, which was played in 2012. They win the national title. Les Miles still has a job at, at, at LSU. If they don't play Alabama, he is still the head coach at LSU because they would have beaten the crap. They would have beaten Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State would have gotten beat. Bar none. I do not. I do not doubt it in my mind. If LSU plays Oklahoma State, LSU wins the game, and Les Miles will still be the head coach. You there, Jay? Jay, are you there? I'm here. Uh, yeah, I, I was just finished. I was letting you uh, were going to get your thoughts on that. Uh, on, on, uh, on what I said about LSU. If LSU plays Oklahoma State, LSU wins the national title and Les Miles is still the head coach. What, what's your opinion on that? No, I, I see that for sure. I, uh, I don't disagree at all. So uh, another one would be, and, I, and I'm not sure if you were, I mean, I'm sure you heard stories uh, about the Southwest Conference, but I also believe if SMU doesn't go into death penalty, if they don't get the death penalty, the Southwest Conference still is intact. Yeah, uh, so obviously – for people that don't know the, the backstory of SMU, uh, with Eric Dickerson and Craig James back in the day, uh, that 30 for 30 on it is really informative, and uh, it's a it's a really eye-opening one, one of my favorite ones. Uh, growing up in the Dallas area, I always got to hear stories about SMU during that time and just how good they really were. Uh, SMU being able to build on that success uh, – really could have held together the Southwest Conference. And I think you you could see a completely different college football landscape today if that were the case. And, and, and the thing about it is it's sort of the same thing that happened with Tulane, like here in New Orleans, and it wasn't really a big story, but Tulane basketball had to shut their program down for four years. It was a self-imposed um, ban on the program, the basketball program. And they had, um, there was, it, it involved money, gambling and drugs and all this other stuff. And Tulane is a very snobby ass school located uptown, not far from where I live at. And Tulane, uh, for years played in the same conference. I mean, once upon a time, Jay, Tulane, played in a conference with Louisville, South Carolina, Florida State, Cincinnati, and Memphis. Well, what ends up happening is Tulane gets their uh, basketball program shut down for four years. And within three years of them coming back, Florida State, South Carolina, and Virginia Tech, they all – leave their, uh, the Metro Conference. And the Metro Conference basically dissolved and it 
evolved into Conference USA. However, if Tulane, if the basketball scandal at Tulane doesn't happen, Tulane probably, there's probably still a Metro Conference. You probably would have been looking at huge, um, huge matchups between Memphis and Virginia Tech in basketball or uh, Louisville and Florida State in football. You would have had, you would have still had those games happen um, in the in the in the mid nineties, in the early nineties, and the mid nineties, because Tulane, because the Tulane scandal didn't affect the the conference as a whole. The same thing could be said about SMU. When SMU went on probation, that was it for the conference, for the Southwest Conference. It was never the same. It was never the same conference. And Arkansas, eventually, they said, look, we're the only school that's not in Texas. We're going to leave. And, I mean, it's just crazy how that one inc- that one event changed the, the landscape of, uh, of college sports. Uh, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a butterfly effect, the way the, the small – uh, seemingly thing that would affect only one school and kind of a, a shockwave throughout the the uh, college athletics world. I mean, can create a lot of different scenarios. Oh, definitely, definitely. So now we shift over to the next category, and this is the category of baseball. Uh, of baseball. And I wanted to get your biased opinion that you know is true. Yeah, baseball is a tough one for me. Uh, you know, I obviously we go back and forth. You being a Cards fan, me being a Cubs fan, but this one, uh, this opinion I have, uh, kind of stems more from growing up uh, in the Dallas area, watching a lot of those Rangers teams. Uh, going back to the the World Series against the Cardinals for the Rangers, uh, you know, there's a a lot. Uh, it was it was down to one out for the Rangers uh, to win the World Series, and I think if the Rangers end up getting that out, they end up winning that World Series and then going on to beat the Giants as well in the World Series that they played in. Here's a fun fact: you know the guy that managed the team in in 2011. You know he's from New Orleans. Ron, Ron Washington went to uh, McDonough 35. Well, we call it thirty-five really? here. He's actually, yeah, he's he's from New Orleans. He's from New Orleans. He went to uh, he went to thirty. Here in New Orleans, we call it thirty-five. We don't say McDonald. We say thirty-five. So he went to he went to thirty-five. But I think if they had won in twenty eleven, do do I think it would have been a dynasty? Maybe. But I do also think this. I also believe this. I don't think Josh Hamilton would have left Texas if they had won that. If they had won the World Series, I don't think he would have left Texas. I agree. I think that right there is what created the events that led him to leave. That led him to leave um, Texas for Anaheim, and we haven't heard anything from Josh Hamilton since. 
because Josh Hamilton has not been the same player. Uh, he he hasn't been the same player um, since he left Texas. I mean, them, them no, some of his uh, best years. Yeah, I think uh, the the move from Texas to L.A. ended up being a bad career move for him. I think Dallas was a good place for him to be. And uh, ultimately that move hurt his career, but it also hurt the Rangers. I think uh, Josh Hamilton helped make the Rangers uh, a contender constantly in the AL West. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough situation, and there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts. But uh, I, I just feel like him staying – with that championship win would have made a huge difference in the Rangers history. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. It's definitely amazing. Uh, for me, I mean, there's a few things that I can think about with the Cardinals, but, but one, when this happened before my time, um, if Keith Hernandez is still a Cardinal in 1985, the Cardinals, win the World Series that year, the one that they lost to the Royals, and they win in 1987 against the Twins. Keith Hernandez getting traded, set back the franchise numerous years. It took us 24 years to win a championship after Keith Hernandez got traded. And I think had he stayed in... um, had he stayed in uh, had he stayed in St. Louis, the Cardinals would have won three World Series in the 1980s. And I think the Mets would have fell deeper and deeper into obscurity. My other one is, oh, Lord. Let's see. I'm trying to think of another one. I do believe that the Dodgers are wasting Clayton Kershaw's uh, prime. I truly believe this. They are they are basically wasting his prime in L.A. As much I mean, they yes, they got into the playoffs, they got to a World Series last year, but the Dodgers are wasting Clayton Kershaw's prime. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, for someone with the ability that Kershaw has to not have a World Series yet, I mean, it's it's pretty unreal, to be honest. I mean, look at some of the players who have the pitchers who have won. I mean, Adam Wainwright has has World Series rings. He has two of them. You got you know Jake Arrieta. Arrieta, he got a, a ring. Cole Hamels got one in Philadelphia. You have Justin Verlander has a World Series ring. Why hasn't Clayton Kers- Why hasn't Clayton Kershaw tasted this same? Why has success in the postseason? Why has it eluded Clayton Kershaw? We we may never know that answer. Yeah, uh, it's it's tough to say. I mean, he's had some good teams around him. He has had some other uh, pretty good guys in the rotation, but it just seemingly he's just hasn't had the luck. And you know, with baseball, 
baseball is a different kind of sport. It's, it's all about who gets hot at the right time, uh, who kind of peaks uh, in October. But uh, it's, it's pretty tough to believe that Kershaw hasn't got a World Series championship yet. And now we shift over to uh, the last topic, and that is football. Pro football, that is. And uh, I'm going to let you go first with this one. Right. So, uh, growing up, my favorite player always to watch was Damian Tomlinson. And I kind of gravitated towards the Chargers because of that, even though I was also a Bears fan at the same time. Uh, but watching the Chargers, that 2007-2008 year, uh, they were going to lose to the Patriots, who at the time were undefeated. In the a uh, in the AFC conference uh, finals, and uh, the thing to remember about that game is that that was probably one of the Chargers' most complete teams. Uh, Philip Rivers was having a great year, but ended up carrying his ACL in the playoffs. Played through it, but uh, obviously wasn't at a hundred percent in that game against the Patriots. Lenny Thompson left in the first quarter with an injury. Uh, defensively, the Chargers had a pretty talented uh, team. They had, uh, you know, Antonio Camardi in the back end. They had Sean Merriman at his peak. I mean, this was a pretty elite Chargers team. Uh, special teams were really strong as well. Nate Cading uh, was one of the most accurate kickers in NFL history. Uh, so they were a complete team. They had everything going. And I, I still firmly believe that if Odenia Thompson – and Philip Rivers are 100%. They go on to beat the Patriots in that uh, AFC final, and then they go on to win the Super Bowl. I would say, and I'm looking at a historical, a historical um, standpoint, if Houston doesn't blow those leads against Buffalo in the 90s, the Oilers, are, they, they would have never left Houston. If they don't, if they got to the Super Bowl in one of those years, they don't leave the city of Houston. Yeah, I mean, anybody that's spent time in Texas or lived in Texas knows uh, how much football means to the state, and uh, to to leave the city of Houston, a uh, huge football hub in Texas, it was a a pretty big deal at the time. And uh, you know, to to end up now with the Texans in Houston and uh, the Oilers having moved to Tennessee and become the Titans, it's a uh, it was a it was a pretty big change at the time with the Oilers leaving, and it's still kind of an I. I say kind of. It's still a very iconic uh, logo. I mean, if you go to Houston, you'll see, you know, throwback jerseys like uh, Warren Moon, uh, that baby blue Oilers jersey. It's it's still an iconic part of Houston. I mean, it, it was definitely like, I mean, I remember when they uh, announced that they were moving the team to Tennessee, and I was like, man, they're going to lose those iconic baby blues. I mean, Teams of you know Earl Campbell and Earl Campbell and uh, Warren Moon and uh, Hayward Jeffries and all those guys. 
even now with and and and, and I would say this, the Titans have been in in Memphis, in, in Tennessee for about for over twenty years. You know, while you know it's great to see my home state have a an an NFL team. While it's great for them to have it, it doesn't take away the pain of what happened with uh, with Houston and what happened with the Oilers because that really broke the heart of, uh, of of those fans in Houston. And yes, the Texans have gone to the playoffs, uh, you know, recently, uh, new uh, a few times, but it's still an Oilers town. It's not. It's never. I don't think the Texans will ever capture the heart of 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 the city like the Oilers did for the city of Houston. Uh, it was just an iconic part of Houston sports history, and it was uh, it was really sad to see them lose that. Yeah. Anyway, Jay, we are coming to the close of this uh, of this podcast, guys. You can have the link. We'll have the link up for you and everything. And we'll also have WAP. Me and WAP will uh, broadcast uh, a, a one uh, a podcast uh, pretty soon. We'll be broadcasting another episode, a bonus episode, to talk about the first uh, two games of the Eastern Conference Finals as well as the first two games of the Western Conference Finals. So that being said, for everyone here, Jay Arnold and Ryan Hancock saying thank you for your time this time. And until next time, we'll see you down the road on Last Guys in the Bleachers. Power to you by your neighbors and friends at thekidswearcrowns.com. Peace.